0: to the election ride home for Friday, August 16th, 2019. I'm your host, Chris Higgins. Today, Lewandowski might run for Senate in New Hampshire. O'Rourke confirms yet again he is not running for Senate. Head-to-head matchup polls show Trump losing badly and why that's misleading. An update on that end run around the Electoral College. Bullock and de Blasio will appear in CNN town halls later this month and what Buttigieg ate at the Iowa State Fair. Here's what you missed today from the campaign trail. First up today, in the who-might-be-running department, there's been a lot of rumbling about former Trump campaign manager Corey Lewandowski running for Senate in New Hampshire. He was even name-checked by the president last night at a rally. Reading from Maggie Haberman's coverage in the New York Times, quote, they're all saying, are you going to support him, Mr. Trump said. I said, I don't know if he's running. So, Corey, let us know, please, if you don't mind, end quote. In the same piece, Haberman reported that Trump also said Lewandowski would be, quote, hard to beat and a great senator, end quote. Now, that's a pretty solid endorsement. And by the way, hat tip to listener, Rich Schaefer, who pointed out this evolving drama to me on Twitter. All of this praise comes after President Trump fired Lewandowski in June 2016, and just hours before Trump made those comments yesterday, Lewandowski was subpoenaed by the House Judiciary Committee, which is looking into the Mueller Report. Oh yeah, he appears on at least 23 pages of the Mueller Report related to possible obstruction of justice stuff. So, who is Corey Lewandowski, why might he run for Senate in New Hampshire, and why do we care? Well, let's break it down. First up, Lewandowski is the guy who helped Trump win the Republican primary in New Hampshire, which was, in fact, Trump's first primary win, and set him on the path toward winning a bunch more. After Lewandowski was fired, he quickly picked up a job as a CNN political commentator. He's also the guy who allegedly grabbed a reporter during the campaign, denied it, but then it turned out there was video evidence, so he was charged with battery by Florida police, though the charges were eventually dropped. He was also later accused of striking a woman multiple times at a party in Washington, D.C. That woman was considering a run for political office. No charges were brought, and he denies it. Also, in a weird biographical side note, Lewandowski brought a loaded handgun into a congressional office building inside a bag of dirty laundry in 1999, and he was arrested for it. He said it was an accident having forgotten the gun was in there when he put his laundry in the bag on top of it. In addition to the gun, he also had three magazines and a holster in there. Those charges were also dismissed, though he did spend years trying to get the gun back, including suing the government for $50,000 in part for his suffering. He did not win that one. He's also made two runs for public office and has failed both times by very wide margins. Oh, and he's also the guy who said, quote, womp womp, end quote, to mock a child with Down syndrome. In other words, he's got some history. We're reading again from the Times on what Lewandowski has been up to lately, quote: His opponents would be almost certain to raise questions about his business activities since Mr. Trump took office. In the years since he was fired, Mr. Lewandowski co-wrote two books about Mr. Trump with David Bossie, the head of the conservative group Citizens United but he has also been an advisor to companies that have interests with the government, and he would be required to file financial disclosure forms that would reveal the extent of those business arrangements, end quote. Okay, so in New Hampshire, the seat he'd be going for is held by two-term Senate incumbent and former Democratic governor, Gene Shaheen. On the plus side, Lewandowski does have the president's support, though many Republicans are apparently worried about this whole thing. Reading here from a Politico article by Alex Eisenstadt, quote, Tensions over Lewandowski are spilling into the open, with the state GOP establishment in near-open revolt over the Trump loyalists' prospective campaign. Some are voicing concerns about his personal baggage, pointing to everything from his March 2016 physical run-in with then-Breitbart reporter Michelle Fields to his messy property dispute with a neighbor. And with the party waging an already uphill effort to unseat two-term Democratic Senator Gene Shaheen, Republican strategist Dave Carney and others in the swing state worry that he would do little to help the party expand its base beyond the group of voters that Trump is already expected to attract. Senior members of the Trump political team adamantly disagree. They argue that Lewandowski, one of the president's staunchest and most visible defenders, would amp up conservative energy and reinvigorate the coalition of blue-collar voters that powered Trump's decisive 2016 primary win in the state. End quote. Okay, so this gets to the why it matters part, which is that New Hampshire is a swing state this time around, and if you end up with Lewandowski campaigning there, even just in the Republican Senate primary, the effect is truly unpredictable it might bring the president to New Hampshire quite a bit, and it's not clear what effect that would have overall. Some Republicans think it would help. Others think it could hurt. With Republicans hoping to flip the state red for the president and unseat Shaheen, any unpredictable X factors are cause for real worry there. So while Lewandowski has not officially announced his candidacy, I think it's clear he really wants to and almost did so last night if reports are to be believed. And if he does, this could turn into a fascinating side drama as various races in that swing state suddenly become even more competitive. Here's a quick bit of news. Former Representative Beto O'Rourke has had to confirm yet again explicitly that he is not going to run for Senate in Texas. On MSNBC last night, he said in part, quote, I will not in any scenario run for the United States Senate, end quote. So just in case you were still hoping that he would change his mind on that, I think that is pretty definitive. Alright, y'all, it is Friday. You know what happens next? The sweet release of the weekend in the middle of the summer. This is when it's time to slow down. So I've been telling you all week I've been using an app called Simple Habit to help me learn to meditate. Now, this isn't woo-woo stuff. This is me sitting quietly, usually during or after, making this show and taking a few minutes for myself. A few minutes of calm and quiet as a professional guides me through my headphones on a simple routine to help me reduce stress. I have found Simple Habit to be a genuinely vital tool. It's part of my daily routine now and I really enjoy it. So look, whether you're somebody who has some job stuff going on, or maybe you're a student and you've got a test or an assignment that's tough, or maybe you're facing loneliness, all of these are among the thousands of specific topics that Simple Habit can help you with. Give this gift to yourself. You have earned it, and you will need it. I want you to go to simplehabit.com ride. The first 50 listeners who sign up for a paid plan there get 30% off. You got to use the special link. It is the first link in the show notes. Again, that is simplehabit.com ride to get the discount and let them know that you came from the this show. Take some time for yourself. Invest in your own well-being with Simple Habit. One last time, the first 50 listeners who go to simplehabit.com slash ride are going to get 30% off. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with bite, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Next up, our main story today. So every month, a batch of what's called head-to-head matchup polls come out, and they make big headlines. I've covered these before, but to be honest, I didn't understand that much about how they worked and how predictive they are, or aren't. I understand them much better now, so let's dig in together. These are speculative polls that ask, essentially, if the election were held today and your choices were person A and person B, for whom would you vote? And for months now, these polls have shown consistently that various Democrats beat President Trump handily in the general election. The question then tends to turn to which Democrats and also by how much. So just to give you some numbers on the current state of these polls, let's talk about a new Fox News poll. Now, I do want to be clear. Whatever you think about the TV channel, their polling organization is solid. They get an A grade from 538, and this is considered a high-quality poll. Okay, so methodology first, always methodology first, the poll was conducted from August 11th through 13th. It included just over 1,000 registered voters nationwide with live telephone interviews on both landlines and cell phones. The margin of error is plus or minus 3%. And the question was, quote, how would you vote if the candidates were, end quote, then they listed President Trump and one of just four Democratic primary options. Now, if the respondent gave an I-don't-know result, they were asked again, quote, well, which way do you lean? End quote. They could still then respond by saying they'd vote for somebody else or wouldn't vote or still didn't know, which accounts for why these numbers don't add up to 100. All right, result time. Biden won against Trump 50 to 38. Sanders won against Trump 48 to 39. Warren won against Trump 46-39. Harris went against Trump 45-39. to 39. Those were the only candidates polled, but, you know, that looks overwhelming, right? Like, no matter who the Democrats nominate, it looks like an easy win. What's really interesting here is that Trump consistently gets 39% of the vote. The Democrats get varying amounts. Biden gets slightly more than Sanders, who gets slightly more than Warren, who gets slightly more than Harris. But the only candidate who seems to draw one point away from Trump is Biden. And that's just one percentage point, with a margin of error that is three times that amount. So statistically, these are all wins, but as with all polling, we have to understand how these polls work. So I want to call your attention to an article in 538 by Perry Bacon Jr. back on June 14th. The title is, Should We Take These Early General Election Polls Seriously? Bleep No. By the way, that bleep technically was a thing called a Grawlix. There is a link in the show notes explaining that if you are a linguistics nerd and or a comics nerd. Anyway, Bacon writes, quote, So just how seriously should we take hypothetical general election polls more than a year out and before the Democratic nominee has been selected? Not seriously, end quote. He then runs through some historical polling and shows that even when you're much closer to the actual primary, these polls are historically very wrong. From the period from 1944 to 2012, they're about 11% off on average, and sometimes a lot more. Like in 1982, which I happen to remember, they were 26% off, okay? Meaning, basically, a lot changes in the general election versus the primary. And we're not even that deep into the primary yet. Bacon chalks up these polling misses to several factors. First up, we don't actually have a nominee, so the hypothetical factor right now adds a ton of uncertainty. Who knows what any given nominee will do or say between now and a year from November when voters actually vote? And also, what's the economy going to be like during all that time? Those factors do tend to influence the actual outcome, and they sure did back in 1992. Reading again from the conclusion of Bacon's article, and in this he references what was then the current polling, quote, Trump's real political problem is self-identified independence and voters who don't love him or hate him. In the 2018 midterms, independence broke heavily for the Democrats in US House elections, plus 12%, as did voters who somewhat disapproved of the president, plus 29% according to exit polls. In this Quinnipiac survey, all the Democratic candidates had double-digit leads over Trump among independents. And those are the numbers that should worry the president and his political team, end quote. OK, so in the new poll, independents are not always polling the double digits in the Democrats' favor. They do for Sanders, giving him a 12-point overall edge against Trump among independents. But the rest are single-digit percentage points. So that's the current head-to-head matchup polling and the healthy dose of salt you need to take when you look at these numbers. None of this means that it's a lock to defeat Trump in 2020. What it might mean is that at least right now, we have a nice variety of Democratic candidates who are potentially electable. So at this stage, I don't think we can count anybody out, at least none of the four that we have this polling data on. (music) Longtime listeners will be familiar with the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, one of my favorite weird legal strategies in elections. Long story short, it's a plan whereby each state can pass a law saying that under certain circumstances, that state's electoral college votes for president will stop being decided by the state's voters themselves and instead be decided by the national popular vote overall. Weird, right? And it is probably constitutional because states get to decide how to apportion their electors. One of the interesting ways this is set up is that states are voting into this thing one by one, and each state law includes a trigger provision, saying that it only goes into effect when a majority of electoral votes would actually be in play. In other words, let's hold on to the existing system until we can, together, overthrow the old system. The net effect here is that if enough states decide that the popular vote is more important than the state-by-state vote, then boom, all of a sudden they dive in together. Not surprisingly, Democrats often like this idea, and Republicans not so much. So right now today, here's who has signed onto the plan in the order they adopted it. Maryland, New Jersey, Illinois, Hawaii, Washington, Massachusetts, the District of Columbia, Vermont, California, Rhode Island, New York, Connecticut, Colorado, Delaware, New Mexico, and Oregon. Given that list, they are about 73% of the way to the electoral votes they would need to trigger the new system, which might seem pretty close, until you start doing more math and realize that you would need some red states to actually join this thing in order for it to actually happen. Looking at the polling right now, even if you add all the states currently projected to maybe go blue next cycle, that's Maine, Minnesota, Nevada, and Virginia, you're still only 85% of the way there. So, this is a cool idea and everything, but it's going to require some red states to make big changes in order to actually mean anything. Also, for the record, the Democratic governor of Nevada vetoed the plan in his state after the legislature there passed it, so it's not like it's a universally loved thing, even among Democrats. Well, today's news may be discouraging for fans of this plan. In 538, Nathaniel Rakich reports that Colorado residents are planning a ballot measure in 2020 about the plan the measure would first ask Coloradans whether they want to subject the law to a vote. Then, if successful, the law itself would be on a later referendum ballot. And given that Colorado is purple, this could mean that Colorado would be the first state to join and then leave the compact. Reading from Rakich's report, quote, The only poll about the National Popular Vote Law I could find in Colorado was a March survey from Republican pollster Magellan Strategies that found 47% of likely 2020 voters would vote to affirm the National Popular Vote Law, and 47% would vote to repeal it. However, even if those numbers are too rosy for the repeal effort, I would still expect support for the law to decrease as opponents prosecute the case against the National Popular Vote. So even a lead of, say, 10 points akin to the national breakdown would not be secure. This could be one of the most closely watched ballot measures of the 2020 cycle. End quote. Today, Montana Governor Steve Bullock and New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio announced that they will participate in back-to-back CNN town hall events on August 25th, which is a Sunday. The town halls will be held in New York City, be an hour long for each candidate, and Bullock goes first starting at 6 p.m. Eastern. Now, most of why I mention this is that it's a pretty good indicator that neither of these candidates expects to drop out within August, or maybe ever, I don't know. So while both of these men were in a story earlier this week as potential early dropouts, it looks like they do not see it that way. Last up today, let's just go out on a light note, okay? I came across an article in Eater, which I thought was just delightful. Sometimes we need that. The article has a lot of really fun photos, and if you're going to click on one fun thing based on this show, make it the last link in the show notes. The article is titled, Mayor Pete's Excellent Iowa State Fair Adventure. According to the article, Mayor Pete Buttigieg consumed at least the following list of food in one day while at the Iowa State Fair, and yes, they have tons of picks to prove it a root beer float, a pork chop on a stick, a fried bacon ball BLT sandwich in which each ball contains nine pieces of bacon, fried Oreos, chocolate milk, and a red, white, and blue slushie to wash it all down. Eater also reports that Buttigieg grabbed a gizmo sandwich, which apparently is some kind of messy Italian-style thing, but he did not eat it at the fair. Instead, a staffer held on to it for the candidate's dinner later on. Buttigieg said, quote, I don't know the history. I just know it's something I shouldn't be eating on camera. End quote. Well, that is all for one more episode of the Election Ride Home. I've been your host, Chris Higgins. You can always find me on Twitter, at Chris Higgins. The week is ending, and I am looking forward to that. Special thanks to listener Richard for reminding me that I can rent drills. Thanks, buddy. Now I got no excuse. (laughs) No, but actually thanks, because that'll probably save me some money. And also, now that I looked into drill rental on the internet, now all the ads that I see when I browse the web are like these drills that are red and black and stripey, and they look like they're tactical military weaponry or something. I have fallen into some strange category of advertising that must have really confused the robots. So I'm gonna go Click on a bunch of kittens or something and see if I can somehow fix that. As always, thanks for listening and I will talk to y'all on Monday. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable.